Hello, you're listening to the Bonded Books Podcast, where we discuss books, fight over book boyfriends, and the lack of filter is a family trait. If you're lucky, you might even hear one of our dogs barking in the background. Because hey, if we have to deal with them, then so do you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm okay. I'm a little tired, but I'm okay. Yeah. Up for the task of reviewing this book. Okay, good. Good. I just want to say a couple things before we dive in. Absolutely. Go ahead. Okay, so I just wanted to remind people that there's going to be spoilers and explicit language. And I was just going to tell people the name of the book, and then we can just go from there if you want. The book this week we're talking about is The Vampire King. It's the Moretti Blood Brothers, book one, and it's by Juliet Banks. Yes, and before we get even further, I would like to say thank you to the people that are listening to us, and please feel free to pass us around because we're fine with that. Um, <laughs> you mean feel free to tell your friends about the podcast? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. What else okay. could I possibly mean, Rachel? I don't know what <laughs> of what you're implying. Okay, okay. So my garbage isn't the only thing in the gutters today. <laughs> you know your mother. You can always find me <laughs> in the gutter. I like it. Yes. I don't know who wants to start about this book. I just want to say something about the book itself before we like jump in. Oh, please. To like describing what happened in the book. Okay. Because I feel like... Uh, I don't know if we're going to have like the greatest flow when talking about this book because the book itself did a lot of jumping around. Did you feel like that when you were reading it? Um, yes, I did. I don't want to add to the flow, so I hate to tell you, but I'm not muting my mic when you're talking because I it's just too much for me to remember to turn it back on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. You know, I really went into this book thinking because on Amazon and on the cover it's listed as book one but then when you look the book up on Goodreads and if you go in the book and in the um, couple pages after the cover it has that section that says also written by for the author okay on that page it's listed as a novella what I didn't even see (laughs) didn't even see that I just dove right in I didn't see any of that stuff until after I finished reading the book, because at the end, I was like, this isn't an actual novel. This is like a prequel novella. Yeah, it was like a big intro. Yeah, it's a little like misleading to call it book one. It's really book like 0.5. Yeah. But a lot of stuff still happened, even though this book was like, I don't know, 190 pages. It was definitely less than 200 pages. You can start if you want. Go ahead. Yes, I would like to start. So this book takes place in a bar in 1891 England. And it starts by talking about a writer whose name is Bram. And he's sitting at the end of the bar and he's observing four large men that are sitting at a table and they look aristocratic to him. He would describe them as menacing looking, but they're dressed in nice clothes. And one of the men is giving him 
a warning, I guess, by staring at him. It's a stare down. And he has a gut feeling that there's something off with these people. And as he's almost, he decides to leave the bar. He had been at the bar taking a break from his writing. He's waiting for his family to join him. So there's a just a little bit of a blurb about all of that. The door bursts open. Men, other men come in uh, screaming the name Moretti. And he's knocked on his ass while they're confronting the men that are sitting at the table. A new man named Roberto Russo says he is laying down his challenge. From Bram's perspective, he is shocked to hear this that they would talk about challenging, doing this challenge out in public. Is that what you get from this? Yeah, he's basically, from what Bram can ascertain, he thinks that Russo's talking about a duel, it sounds like, but dueling is against the law. So I think he makes a reference to like, why are they talking about this? They're going to get in trouble. It's all very odd. Why are all these weird people in the bar? He's kind of like, get me out of here, right? Right. And I guess Roberto addresses, because Roberto and I apparently are on a first name basis, but he addresses one of the men at the table as king. And that really blows his mind because there is no king in England at this current time. There's a queen, but he can feel a lot of power coming off this man that was addressed as, as a king. But he, in his mind, he's like, this guy isn't English royalty. And so Russo hurls all of this things he's upset about at the man that he's calling the king about their taxes. And he makes a comment about his daughter, whose name is Lucinda, who has, quote unquote, mated with one of the king's males at a board and Branham is shocked upon shocked that they are talking about such a thing in public and doesn't understand what they mean by mating he's like do they mean the sanctity of the marriage bed he doesn't know but he is challenging this man that he's addressing as the king based on all of these accusations he's hurled at him are you done talking about the chapter you want to talk about how the chapter ends uh, I just want to say, well, are we done with this chapter already? I, I, there was so much that happened in this first chapter. There was a lot that happened in the first chapter, but at the same time, absolutely nothing that matters at all, except for like <laughs> two sentences. <laughs> like, it, it's really true, though. We will never see the character Bram okay, again that in the book. was the point I wanted to make. <laughs> I'm like, I want to know what happens to Bram because he's told he can't leave. There, the the king challenges the duel, and he, Bram decides to leave. He's trying to get out of the bar. He's told you can't. I'm sorry, but you can't leave. We never hear about Bran again. Is he? Do they kill him? Do they glamour him? I feel like I need to make up missing posters and put them all over town because <laughs> I don't know what happens to Bram. I don't even know the point of Bram. So the only thing I could think was that Bram is a writer in the bar only to set the stage for this challenge between Russo family clan, what have you, and the Moretti family clan. And also as a nod to Bram Stoker from the writer for Dracula. Other than him having that small connection to other famous vampires in literature and setting the stage for future conflicts in this book, he really has no purpose. I was kind of intrigued by it. And at the same time, I'm like, okay, they must have glamored him. But the glamour was like, I'm going to just go off on a tangent here. 
but they glamored him and the glamour was just enough that he he was inspired to write the story dracula based on the glamour oh dear god you're so much more enlightened than i am <laughs> because when i read his name bram i thought to myself of all the friggin' names in all the world that this author could pick she picks the name bram after the dracula books but oh my god you're absolutely right Wow, are you sure you want to keep doing this podcast with me? Because obviously, I don't, I don't know what the hell's going on. I, I don't think it really matters. I'm really just going off on a tangent there, and I could just be reading way too much into it. But that's what I was thinking, that he's a writer. That's his name. That was the reason why she had him and to set up this conflict with the Russo clan. Okay, so apparently this author is brilliant. Because I didn't, I didn't get that at all. But that's a really good point that you made. Thank you. I don't even know where the chapters end, to be honest with you, because I just made notes. It's fine. It, I don't think it really matters where the chapter ends <laughs> and what's happening because there's so much jumping back and forth between characters. I had a problem when I was reading this book, honestly, that I would be reading and I would not realize which character was speaking. So then I would have to go back a couple sentences back to see which character it was and then go back to where I was. I was very disjointed when I was reading this. I think because they're all men. Well, sure. Except, of for, the, except for the queen oh and like God. a couple random ladies. Yeah. It's mostly men and you jump to all of their perspectives. And I think this whole book is third person POV. So it, it's very like you're going to switch from Brayden to Craig to Vincent to the king to the queen all within the same chapter it's very kind of odd the layout the doesn't have much flow to it yeah I think a, a lot of the first chapter was just to kind of set up who the characters were you know that that Brayden and Vincent are sons of the king and that Vincent is the firstborn even though this king thinks of Brayden as being the true alpha of his sons they talk about Craig who is Braden's best friend that they met in the army. And so, yeah, there's a lot of, and <laughs> there's a lot of going back and forth. And then we jump to the castle. Yeah. And I like that this was the second book we read that goes to a castle and almost immediately to an orgy. Right. Was that just me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. It's like, as soon as they get out of the carriage, one of the brothers is met by a woman that's ready to, get down and dirty with him that's brayden so brayden is a vampire playboy he's the youngest son out of the two sons in the family he is described i think by his dad as the most alpha vampire around but he has absolutely no interest in being king well, why would he he's too busy fucking all these random fang bangers vincent is the oldest and vincent is uh selected to be next in line for the throne so Brayden has several sex scenes in this. Several. Book. Yeah, I didn't mind them uh, at all. Just yeah. saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> His brother Vincent is much more reserved. And he's got the hots for a woman named Kate. But he, he won't admit it to himself. And Brandon and Craig like to give Vincent a hard time saying, well, we all know she's your mate. And he's like, don't talk about her. Their dynamic is very different between the two of them because Brayden, when he hooks up with this one woman, they're in a room and he ends up going down on her. And as soon as he's done pleasuring her and himself, he gets up and he's like, well, have a nice day. 
It was nice to see you again. Bye. Don't let the door hit you or the good Lord yes, split you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he says um, he was well known for his sexual appetite. If she had been hoping to be his mate, she now had her answer. He very politely shows her the door. It's like, okay, I'm done with you. Bye. And the thing that killed me <laughs> is that he he's having, you know, he's thinking in his head. He's like... Well, his mother, the queen, has no problem with him fucking all these women as long as he treats them kindly. And I thought, okay, well, thanks for sharing that. Brayden used to be a human, and he was turned by his father, King Francis. And I think because the queen used to be human also, her and Brayden have this special connection over their lost humanity. That's like a continuing theme in this novella. Okay, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. Okay, tell uh, me. I believe that the story was all about the queen losing her humanity and Brayden is the youngest, so he was born a vampire and so was Vincent. In the book, it says that he was turned by the king, but this was part that kind of confused me because Vincent was not turned. So Vincent is like an actual heir between King Francis and the queen. But Brayden was turned because he was like dying on a battlefield. And I thought that was Craig. Oh my God, Craig. <laughs> Craig, I'm telling you, it's confusing. Craig doesn't really matter, honestly. Craig is just a yeah. friend of Brayden's. Mm -hmm. He's not a Moretti prince, but he's uh, Brayden's best friend and the commander of the royal army. But Brayden made a whole i have a quote somewhere let me see if i can so find you're it telling me that brayden isn't actually his blood son no he's not wow brayden has a thought at one point he says he intended to give his mate a choice if she was human yeah i knew that part but that's because he aligns himself with the queen he's very angry about what happened between the queen and the king and how the king took her humanity i could have read it wrong but i mean it doesn't really matter they're all like brothers but they're like a found family a chosen family but i don't think all of them are related okay i must have drank too much it that night i was reading because <laughs> i did not get that at all Doesn't okay <laughs> a lot of stuff happens in this book that i don't yeah, think matters. I, I agree so one of the big things for me that did not matter is first interaction between the king and the queen so when they get back to the castle and the king's supposed to be preparing for this duel he tells everybody when they get out of the carriage do not tell the queen because she'll be very very upset with me that i'm entering this duel when the king finds i don't even know how to get through this do you want to talk a little bit about the queen about her background well I, the mean? thing that really there was so much jumping around in this book when the duel is over, but we shouldn't go to that point first because there's a lot that transpires between the king, King Francis, and Vincent because he asked Vincent to stay with him and help him get ready for the duel. Yeah, we get a little bit of the Moretti family secrets before the duel. Yeah, so do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure, I can do okay. that. Brayden goes off when they return to the castle. Brayden goes off and he has that interaction with that girl. While he's having that interaction, the king and Vincent go off because the king wants to spar with him, I think. Yes. And while he's doing that with Vincent, they talk about transfer of power that happens from one king to another upon the king's 
death and which is quote unquote the royal family's greatest secret right. so the king is never worried about challenges to the throne because they have this connection to this like well of power that they can pull from and it talks about how they are direct descendants of the original vampire and linked to all vampires in the race yes they are getting these challenges to the throne but the king is never worried about them because of that and then he also talks about the three ways to kill a vampire a dagger or sword through the heart sever the head or of course the sun yes and the other thing that he mentions which maybe this is comes up later on in another book but he briefly talks about the disappearance of his best friend Aristride. i'm not sure how to say his name but he was the king's best bud when they were growing up and he disappeared one day when francis was much younger never to be heard of again he's not sure why he disappeared after looking for him for about 100 years he finally gave up and accepted the fact that he was never coming back but i'm sure that they mentioned him for a reason that this guy is gonna show up at some point oh yeah good point i didn't really pick up on that guy at all i remember briefly reading about it thinking it was kind of odd but I was too focused on the Russo, the immediate threat, I guess. Yeah. So do you want to talk about what happens with the duel? Sure. I don't have many notes on the duel, but I can. Well, go I don't either. It. That's why I said. <laughs> Let's, let's <laughs> talk about it. Okay, so the duel happens. The Russo clan comes over, and it's Roberto Russo, who is the father of that clan, and a couple other people, his sons or what have you. And, of course, it's a very Pride and Prejudice-style duel of the one person will fight the other person, and even though you have all these spectators, nobody else can interfere. Roberto obviously gets defeated by the king, I really don't have any notes on this, but his the whole impetus for Roberto wanting to do this duel is because his daughter is mated to a guy named Tom. And I don't think we ever no, actually see Tom no, in this book. I don't book. think there is anything about Tom. Yeah, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so we just, the whole, <laughs> the whole point is to realize that King Francis has all of this power and he can never be defeated. Yes, and I, I so, go ahead, I'm sorry. I just want to be the one that talks about when the king talks to the queen. Okay, that's fine. So I was just going to say, when the other Russo men go home, they give this kind of mwahaha, ominous style. This isn't the end <laughs> right. of this kind of, I, I spit on your house's <laughs> Romeo and Juliet yes. style. I bite my thumb at you, sir. <laughs> yes. A pox upon you. Yes. A plague on both right. your houses. Then it doesn't matter anymore. They're gone. So, and then... Go ahead. From there, they return to the castle and you okay, can say what happens. So this part, I don't know what the hell or where this came from. It, to me, it was very strange and very bizarre. So the king walks into the castle. The queen now knows that he had participated in a duel and she's livid. And apparently they get in this argument and they must have some kind of bizarre sexual thing that gets them off by arguing or whatever. And he ends up taking her and tying her to the bed and they have angry sex in the room. And as soon as they're done, they get up and they're like, okay, honey, how was your day? I, I just, I couldn't buy into how they had sex. I felt <laughs> like he, the author just threw it in there to have some sexy time between the king and the queen. But I did not understand that, why that was the way it was, nor did I enjoy it. The queen has like inner thoughts of how, because Francis, the king, just had this duel, 
He's going to be all amped up with all his <laughs> vampire testosterone. So he's going to want to get all of that extra aggression out by fucking the daylights out of her. But then for, on her end, she's mad because he had this duel and she was left out of it. Which honestly, given what happens with the yeah. king and queen next, <laughs> does it really matter? I don't know. Who cares? Oh, dear like, God. Please let me talk on. about this part. Go ahead. I was going to talk about what the other oh, guys please, were doing while please. the king and queen were. Well, of course, they're having another orgy and a ball. Yeah. <laughs> because where else do you have an orgy what? but at a ball? Come on, Rachel. Yeah, it seems like they have this ball, which is very in line with the late 1800s, higher up well-to-do family that they are trying to pretend mm -hmm. to be. But then as the hours go on, it just turns into an actual orgy. Brayden is doing things. Craig is doing things. They talk or they think or they talk about how they used to do things yes. together. They're all very fluid. I actually liked this part of the book. I was like, oh, we're getting a little glimpse of some things that might happen later on. Didn't really have a point to it. It was very gratuitous sex mm -hmm. scene. Craig and Brayden are doing that. They're off doing their thing. King and queen are off hate fucking each other. Then we have Vincent having a run in with Kate. Do you want to talk about that? Or do you want me to talk no, about go that? Ahead. <laughs> okay. Please, feel free. So they have a very small run in together. Vincent is an odd character. He's a, like opposite, in my opinion, to Brayden. Brayden's very outgoing, very confident. Vincent is not outgoing or confident at all. He's just kind of like, this is the role I've been more into. This is what I'm going to do. And when Kate runs into him, he immediately gets all like possessive and growly. And he's like, were you at that orgy? He can't stand the thought of her being there, even if she was just witnessing it. He's yes. got that whole like, mm -hmm. you're my mate, but I don't have the lady right? balls to actually yes. do something about yes, it. Going exactly. on. <laughs> he ends up kissing her. Because, of course, he's overwhelmed with all these feelings and this possession. So he kisses her. But then he immediately puts his freaking foot in his mm -hmm. vampire mouth and says, I'm sorry, like a moron. Yes. He's very much a moron in this book in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, he's very frustrating. Like, you just want to shake some sense into him. It's like, Kate likes you. You like her. What the F is the problem? I have another comment about them uh, later okay. on in the book. All right. Can I talk about the conversation that the king and the queen are having while this is going on? Yeah, talk about how they go from <laughs> this like weird hate fuck to this very yes. odd conversation. Conversation. So yes. it's again, it's a little disjointed. There's no smooth transition, but the king and the queen, I guess it's their anniversary. Not 100% sure. They start talking about the promise that the king has made to the queen. And from there, they end up ha giving you the explanation or the story of how the king changed the queen into the vampire that she is. He found her one day. He fell head over heels in love with her. Never told her that he was a vampire or he was going to make her a vampire and ended up turning her into one. She was livid when she realized what he had done, that he took away her humanity, her ability to be in the sun ever again. All of her family was going to die and she was just going to live on and on and on. And they lived quite a long life together. So she was so angry when this first happened that she would not speak to him. And he was just beside himself of how can he get this woman that he's in love with to forgive him and move forward in their mating. So he comes up with this 
incredibly bizarre idea. He tells her, he suggests that they form a suicide pact and that if he would give her, oh, let's say a thousand years, because, you know, let's just pull a number as his mate. And she was still unhappy that they could die together. He would be willing to commit suicide with her. Wow, what a deal. So when he offers that, she agrees. And lo and behold, before you know it, a thousand years have come and gone. And she is still bitter and wants him to keep his promise so that they can die together. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what do you think of this part? I have to applaud her ability to hold a fucking grudge. <laughs> because kidding. That's exactly what really? I really. Oh a thousand God. years and you're not over it yet? So at the end of this whole exchange, and I think it's at the very end of the chapter, she says that she has never forgiven him, even though it's been a thousand years. They have a wonderful yeah. life together. Yeah. They have a family, yeah. all these things. She still has not forgiven him. And King Francis is so upset. He sheds one mm -hmm. tear and she yes. jumps all over herself to say, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Because you shed one tear in a thousand fucking years. Oh, my God. No wonder she never forgave him. Yes. And so the way that they are going to commit suicide together, which this is another thing that just blew my mind. Um, not only are they fine with a suicide pact, they're going to die by telling their sons that they have to behead them. So their own sons have to be the ones to do the job and behead the mother and father. And after trying to persuade their parents please don't do this. We love you. The parents, obviously, they accept the fact, you know, after five minutes that the parents are not going to change their mind. And so they're like, okay, we'll cut your heads off. And then we will put your bodies on a raft, sending you afloat <laughs> out onto the water to meet the sunrise that their mother missed so, so much and let the sun consume their bodies in flame. It was kind of sweet but at the same time it was very bizarre it's like the sons had no idea that they had this 1000 year and an air agreement between them so not only are they told at the very last minute okay our time's up but they're also told by the way our choice of going out is uh you guys are going to behead us like way yes. to traumatize your children yes. irreversibly it was very bizarre very yes bizarre. and the, the king tells his son vincent you're ready to be king i know you are they instantly go from this beheading and pushing the raft out into the water to the getting ready for the coronation yeah they have this weird thing where they have to do the funeral but then right after they have to do the coronation because vincent got all of the power as soon as king francis's head was chopped off yes they lied to their parents and said, we'll have the coronation immediately after. But they ended up like waiting a few hours so that they could have time to grieve before they went on to the party portion of the evening. Yes, and I, I have to read this quote that was in this book because I'm sorry, but I just, let me just read it. So Brayden is helping his brother Vincent get ready for the coronation. And Vincent is saying how difficult it was to do this and you know, how hard it is to miss his parents, quote unquote, Brayden shrugged at him and says, well, they never gave us a heads up on their goddamn plan. So don't beat yourself up about it, nor did we expect to be the ones to do it. So let's just do this. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and, and I'm sorry, did she not realize heads up, heads, hello. <laughs> 
<laughs> poor too, too soon, soon too soon <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> I'm like oh my god okay could he be any more obviously Brayden's over it I didn't focus in on the Vincent and Brayden interaction after the beheading they did I focused in on the Vincent and Kate interaction that happened after the beheading before the coronation. Did that stick out Apparently to you at all? Apparently not. So go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Okay. okay. <laughs> so even though Kate is all pissed oh, off yes. at Vincent for saying, I'm sorry, after they kiss, she still goes to his chambers to check on him because she's such a good friend. So she goes to check on him between the murder yes. and the party and they have a couple conversations and they slip into the trope that I will just flat out say I hate there's top two tropes I hate one of them is oops babies and the other one is the one they slipped into right here friends to lovers okay I can't do it he ends up saying to Kate let me find the quote you are a female of worth and great beauty Kate and that's basically his justification for not pursuing her as a mate because he's like worried that she won't actually be his mate he has this weird reluctance to pursue things with her that I never I didn't understood. understand that either because he's the freaking king of the vampire kingdom for the love of god he realizes that he's going to be the third vampire king in their entire race's history but he's not good enough for kate he made it almost seem like he was afraid to have sex with her because if he had sex with her and then she wasn't his mate then she would be devastated and so would he so he's never actually going to go there with her it's like can you not tell that somebody's your mate without fucking them first so it's kind of a weird vampire dynamic to yeah be. i don't understand and it's not like she's a milkmaiden from the village that and not of the same social standing that she could become the queen she is someone with a family background of class and breeding that would be a mate for the king. So I don't get it. I'm going to say that again. That's going to be my go-to line throughout this review. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it either. But the thing I don't get the most. <laughs> Go ahead. Was that. Oh was my God. Can we just yes. jump to the epilogue? That is my very next <laughs> note. All of a sudden they're in Maine and it's the year is 2021. Yeah, so the chapter before the epilogue ends with Vincent's coronation. And of course, he's like, has dagger yes. eyes with Kate. So the, I think like the crown gets yeah. put on his head. He's staring at Kate the whole time. And it ends the chapter, immediately jumps to the epilogue, which was the oddest epilogue I have ever read in my life. Time jumped 130 <laughs> years. And not just that, I don't mind a time jump. But then the things that happened in the epilogue were so <sighs> bizarre to me. I don't get it at all. Yes. It starts with Vincent coughing into a tissue and he stares into the tissue and there's blood in the tissue. Yeah, even though it's 2021, he has some weird 1891 uh, disease. <laughs> yeah, he's got consumption. <laughs> yes, and when he hears his mate enter the room, he, Ugh. yeah. Ugh. He hides the tissue because he doesn't <laughs> want his mate to know. Vincent is sick. That's a great mystery. How, how though? How, how Vincent sick? How this yeah. happen? And then the questions yeah. just pile on. And then, yes, Kate pops out of freaking nowhere as his mate. And it's like, what the well, fuck? Why is Kate his mate 130 years later? Like, 
this is when you would think you would actually get their love story. You don't yeah. actually get a love story in this book. At this point, I was like, what the hell is happening in this book? This is well, not a normal if book. if you remember the last line in the chapter before the epilogue, when he, their eyes met after he gets the crown on his head, he thinks to himself, he has some work to do to win her heart. But her smile gave him hope. So apparently once he had the crown put on his head, light bulbs went off and he realized, you know what? Kate <laughs> maybe would be a good mate. I guess. I don't know. It, I glossed over that apparently because this whole epilogue threw me for a loop. <laughs> So then to distract Kate from his bloody, disgusting tissue he's crammed in his pocket, he fucks her on like the kitchen table or the kitchen island. And uh, my note just says, that's unsanitary and probably how he got sick in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) That's an excellent point because I like, don't maybe don't do cunnilingus on the counter. All I could think of was, well, (laughs) he overcame his shyness and inability to speak to her because finally he is hot and sexy and can't get into her fast enough. He's also trying to distract her because his brother, Brayden, apparently lives with them. And Brayden is still a whore because there is no no whore word for a man. It's only a woman word. Brayden is a himbo. Is that what they call it? Yeah, he's not a bimbo. Oh, okay, he's a himbo. So Kate is <laughs> angry that Brayden keeps upsetting all these women and that people are getting angry that he's a hit it and quit it kind of person. And so she's complaining to Vincent that she wants him to talk to his brother to stop being such a whore. And he's like, he says to her, I'm not going to tell my brother I'm not going to give him instructions uh, or any vampire on their sex life. It's, she says, why these females insist on fantasizing about mating with the prince is beyond me. And Kate shrugs her shoulders and says, he's hot in a prince. And that's what sends Vincent off. <laughs> he growls and he starts to stalk towards her. And it's like, it's no way he's going to let her get away with that. And she mm-hmm. she starts to have a nervous little laugh and starts backing up. And she tells him, stop it. He's all, you called my brother hot and expect me to just allow that? <laughs> he growled playfully and continued yeah. his approach. His predator nature right at the surface. And then there's more sexy giggling that made his cock hard. And she ran and he chased her. And that's when he spun her around and takes her on the table. Yeah, it was pretty cute. It was just kind of disappointing because we didn't see any of their actual love stories. this part actually could be interesting except for the part that vampires live forever they don't get consumption and they don't cough up blood if there's only three ways to kill a vampire according to his father why is his coughing up blood happening the novella ends with vincent telling brayden he can't go on some trip because he's dying and that's how the story ends. I don't know if you already no, said that part, not. but it was a very, uh, yeah, it was a very abrupt ending to the story. And the whole time I was reading the novella thinking it was a book, I'm like, whose love story are we supposed to be getting in the vampire King? Because we have King Francis and his queen, but then we also have King Vincent and his mate, which 
I'm assuming Kate is obviously the yeah. queen at this point. We don't really get the love story for either of them. It was just kind of odd. I think it did a good job setting up the characters. And like, I'm very interested to know what happens with Brayden. And eventually Kate and Vincent do have a book. But honestly, as of recording this podcast, that book hasn't even been released yet. Their book is actually book five in the series, which is very odd to me. You would think their book would be the next book in the series. book would have been the book. Book one. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? By book five, if if Vincent's ill, isn't he dead by then? I mean, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Are are you kidding? I I didn't read anything about any of the other books after this um so i guess since brayden is uh, they the king mentioned that brayden is the most alpha vampire of any vampire who's ever met i think the vampire king is going to be really centered on brayden yeah maybe i'm i'm not sure who's next i think brayden's book is next my problem with this book was the way that it was touted as book one when Honestly, I would have skipped this book completely and had us read the next book, which I think is called The Vampire Prince. Considering neither one of us has ever read this author before, I think this was not a great book to start on. So I would have been interested to read Brayden's story and not this like weird prequel novella. But then at the same time, these books are not on KU, which is a very like big downside for me. I'm mm-hmm. a huge reader yes. of KU or I do a lot of reading in the library with the Libby app you know I am almost done reading worse guy didn't you just download yes, that yesterday oh my that... god and it, is it giving you high anxiety feels like the other I'm book not did? commenting because I'm sure you're gonna read it at some point <laughs> oh no okay <laughs> but we're not reviewing it I'll tell you that much I'm just reading it for pleasure I actually thought this story was okay it was not what I expected it to be at all But I thought for what it was, it was okay. It was like a decent intro into the Moretti family and intrigued me enough with the side characters to maybe want to read some more. Okay, so our next episode, we're going to be doing the book Asterion by Alessa Thorne. It is The Court of the Underworld, book number one. And those books are on KU. So if anybody wants to read that book before we do the episode, you're more than welcome to grab your own copy. Okay, so if you guys enjoyed the podcast i would like you to rate and review on the platform of your choice for listening um if you are so inclined follow us on instagram at bonded books podcast or you could email bonded books podcast at gmail.com and we're always open for uh, comments uh, book suggestions and play- anything and you want to reach share out for. Us with your friends Yes, as we started this episode, we apparently like to be passed around. I am apparently. It is shocking that you turned out so normal. I don't. I, I just. I am so sorry. I apologize profusely for being your mother. <laughs> oh, it's it's fine. I. I don't mind. Thank God you're not a prostitute somewhere in the middle of nowhere. I. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I'm not the literal pound bicycle. I'm just. (laughs) Okay, babe. Oh, God. Love you. Hilarious. On that note. (laughs) All right. Let me do it. Bye. All right. Bye.